Good morning. I'm pretty sure that several people have already said this to you, but welcome to Morrison Hill Christian Church. Uh, we're really thankful that you're here. We exist to help people become fully devoted and fully equipped disciples of Jesus Christ, as does any church. Um, any church that really cares about following what Jesus actually taught and doing what Jesus actually commanded, that's what we're all about. We, they may not use that same wording. We may not always use that same wording, but that's what we're about. And that's my prayer and my hope for you this morning is that somehow everything that happens here today will help you become more fully devoted to Christ, more fully equipped to follow him. And that's what this whole spiritual disciplines thing is about. This is a very zoomed in kind of really personal series where we're talking about the, the very things that really make it happen, that really make our, our connection with Christ deeper, that actually help us to become more aware of what's real, what's true, what matters, and to live those ways that help us to actually make the choices that we need to make to build God's kingdom and to do the things that we know Jesus needs us to do. The spiritual disciplines, we've gone over this a couple of times, but I want to say it one more time. They're not rules, they are tools. And that means they're not a replacement for the Old Testament laws. They're not ways that we can evaluate ourselves or each other and check off a little list and feel better or feel worse about ourselves. They're simply things that are available to us as Christians that work. They work better than anything we can do on our own, anything we can make up. Any, any, any amount of self-control or willpower that comes from just within us, they work better than that because they connect us with God himself. In fact, if you're following along in your bulletin today, and you don't have to, this is just something we provide for all of you people who like to take notes. And also, um, there's also a lot of scriptures on here that we hope that you take home and actually read on your own because we only have less than half an hour here together this morning. But if you're taking notes, this is where you get the first three words. Spiritual disciplines work because they connect us with God's truth, with his will, and with his power. Spiritual disciplines connect us with God's truth and his will and his power. When we practice these things, we are reminded, we are connected back to the things that God has said, this is right, this is wrong, this is who I am, this is who I'm not, this is who you are, this is who I created you to be, this is okay, this is not. We're connected to everything that is real by these practices. We're pre not only that, we're connected to his specific will for our lives because we get to know his voice. As Jesus spoke in John 10, and he said, my sheep know my voice and they listen to me. They hear me, they follow me. Even all the way back in the Psalms when David was writing Psalm 23 and he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me. You know what I'm talking about. And the, the, this has always been something that's available to us. If we pursue God hard enough, he will actually lead us in tangible ways. And the spiritual disciplines, all of them in one way or another, are what connects us. They're the things that more than anything else are, really help us do that. They connect us with his truth, with his will, excuse me, and also with his power. We, none of us is strong enough to do what needs to be done to, to accomplish what needs to be accomplished, to build his kingdom the way he needs us to build it on our own. There is simply no human being or no group of human beings that are capable of doing what Jesus asked us to do, of living the way he asked us to live, of being as holy as he asked us to be. 
we just can't. But when we practice these spiritual disciplines, we are able to actually connect with him. We have access to the actual power of God himself. And so we can. The things that he's told us to do that we think we can't do, and we're kind of right, because we can't, suddenly they do become possible because we have access to the truth and the will and the power of God himself. One of the foremost authorities on spiritual disciplines who spent his life writing about him is Richard J. Foster. He says this, by themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. And this is something super important to remember, that the disciplines themselves are not what's important. They're only important because they connect us with God himself. It's kind of like where Jesus told parables of people sowing seeds. And he said the kingdom of heaven is like that. What we're actually doing with the spiritual disciplines is making the soil in our heart more fertile. We're making it easier for the spirit to produce his fruit. But we must never forget that the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Only He can produce that in us. And that's why it's so important that we connect with Him. We, we, we completely, over time, by practicing these things, we slowly become transformed into the likeness of Christ Himself. We see things differently. We see everything differently. Instead of seeing things the way the world sees them, we become totally different people. And Paul wasn't specifically talking about the spiritual disciplines when he wrote these two verses, but this is the principle that makes them work. So let's read this together. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Would you read this out loud with me? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Last Sunday was an amazing sermon. Uh, Billy Canarium knocked it out of the park, in my opinion, and I thought it was wonderful. Uh, he had originally planned to speak uh, on one of the messages in this series, the one on fasting and feasting. And uh, his message will be online in just a couple days. June Machina was on vacation and we weren't able to get that posted this week. But his message, you should go back and hear that. Just very briefly, because it's so important, I want to go over a little bit of what he would have shared with you last week and then we'll keep going with where we're at today. We're talking about silence and solitude primarily. But uh, there's also provided in this handout, even if you don't take notes today, I encourage you to take these home and read these scriptures and kind of let them marinate in your heart a little bit because these are really important. But very briefly, fasting reminds us that we need God more than anything else. Fasting in the Bible is primarily fasting from food, sometimes from food and water, sometimes from specific food or specific drinks. But the point is not about food. The point of fasting in the scripture, the spiritual discipline of fasting, which is a hugely powerful one, especially when combined with other ones like silence and solitude. The point of fasting is to remind us that we need God more than anything else. Isaiah 58 will remind you when you look that up that um, what really God wants is justice in the world. He wants us to live the life. Fasting reminds us of what that looks like. In Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus is saying that when you fast, 
it's important that you remember that all of these spiritual disciplines are vertical, not horizontal. In other words, these are not things we do for each other. You don't fast and go, oh, yes, I'm fasting today. I've been fasting for three days now because, you know, I'm holy like that. Any examples where the early church used fasting as a group, they fasted and prayed as a group, and the leaders of the church collectively heard from God and made a major decision just because they had taken time to fast and pray together so that they would hear God's voice. There's so much power in this, so much beauty in this simple practice, and I, I, I hope that you do take time to go back and read those. Richard J. Foster says, fasting must forever center on God. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. And again, because that's the spirit of it, here's my encouragement to you. Maybe some of you, for medical reasons or just... It's just not your thing. Maybe you don't want to fast from food. But I encourage you to fast from something that does control you. Whenever you go without eating for any amount of time at all, even skip one meal or just don't eat for one day, you're reminded just how much time and energy and money and thought and emotion even goes into just eating all the time. And when we, that, that's one of the things and we realize that food actually controls us. That's, that same thing could happen if you give up video games for a little bit or if you give up any other thing that you're into a lot, golf or whatever, just for, for a little bit, for a time. And you take that time, that energy, that money, and you spend it elsewhere for the kingdom. You'll be amazed at the transformation that happens in your heart just from that simple choice, that simple practice. Matthew Henry wrote this. We have our all from the hand of God. We are entrusted with it as stewards and consequently are accountable. Every bite we eat and every drop we drink is his mercy. Every breath we breathe and every step we take. This thought will keep us continually waiting on him and will put a double sweetness into all our enjoyments. Most of you actually, whether you knew it or not, participated in one of the spiritual disciplines, probably one of the easiest ones, actually, a couple days ago, and that's feasting. Now, if we just constantly are just gorging ourselves, constantly spending all of our time and money and emotion and everything else on our, uh, pleasuring ourselves with food and whatever else, that's actually a sin called gluttony. But again, just like fasting isn't really about food, feasting isn't really about food either. Feasting is remembering and celebrating what is good and what is true, what is pure, what is nourishing to not only our bodies, but our souls. And when we take time to gather with friends and with family and to eat together and to pray together, there's something powerful that happens there. There's something that just taking time out of the normal, everyday stuff and just pausing and just the, the taste of food and remembering that even the taste comes from God. That's how much he loves us. He didn't have to make food taste good. It could have just been like you just get an injection every day or something. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it could have been painful to keep yourself alive. And he made it pleasurable. And just that act of celebrating together, celebrating what is good and remembering where everything good comes from is a powerful, powerful thing. In Exodus 12, these are the scriptures I'm recommending that you read on your own. That's God outlining the Passover feast, the first time he gave that. And this is one of many where it's actually a feast that God commanded. 
that God used as an ongoing teaching tool. It's the one that Jesus reimagined and that we just celebrated a few minutes ago at we, the Lord's Supper. But we eat together. This isn't really a feast. It's more of a metaphorical feast now because we have such small portions. But in the early church, they actually called this a love feast and they would actually eat together. And the communion part of it wasn't so much like dessert, but it was almost like the the climax of the whole experience. It was like the thing that it was all about. And communion was part of it. When they'd meet, it was part of their worship. And they would eat, they would feast together. It'd be cool if we could get back to that more often. Last Thanksgiving meal that we just had last Sunday night was amazing, by the way. Thank you to everybody who cooked and set up tables and cleaned and all the other things. That was fantastic. But that was a taste of what feasting can be. So both of those are powerful. Both of those are huge. I hope that you can um, take those and run with them. But we're going to really focus on silence and solitude. And to do that, first, I need you to just, I want to make sure everybody's still awake and we're with each other. So look at the people right next to you. Make sure you've got somebody you can talk to, share something with, just quietly. You're going to whisper to each other. This is, this is a really quick question you're going to answer. There's no right answer. There's no right answer. It's just true, whatever's true for you. Okay, this is a little game we play sometimes down at Z4G called Would You Rather? Okay, so here's what you're going to do. Would you rather one of these two things? Number one, get shot 30 times. And I'm not talking about fatal shock. I'm not talking about like us throwing water on a power line while you're holding on to it. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about just it's a painful shock. You, you've been shocked before. Ow! Okay, but 30 times in a row. Boom, boom, boom. Would you prefer that or would you prefer to be completely alone in total silence for 30 minutes. Shock 30 times, just real quickly and it's over, or 30 minutes of complete silence, complete aloneness. No phone, no anything, just silence. Share with each other. All right. You would think that the pain would be the, the gimme one that we'd say, absolutely not. I'll do anything. I don't want the pain. But these days, more than ever before, more and more people are choosing the silence as the scarier of the two. We are so bombarded by noise, mental noise, uh, spiritual noise, the noise of just being busy, actual, physical, loud noise. There's almost nowhere that we can go these days and actually be in silence. And the whole idea of solitude, the whole idea of silence is kind of scary. But again, just like fasting and feasting aren't really about food, silence and solitude aren't really about being alone and being quiet as much as where that can take you. And where that can take you when you do it intentionally with God. Silence in and of itself is just silence. Okay, solitude in and of itself is just solitude. But when you practice this on purpose, intentionally to connect with God, these are some of the most powerful things that you will ever try. They may be scary. They may be hard. These days, they might be the scariest and hardest for all of us to try and to practice. But they're also some of the most powerful of the spiritual disciplines and some of the most important. Again, Richard J. Foster, he says, and so I urge you to still Every motion that is not rooted in the kingdom. This, I'm going to leave that on the screen for a second, read a little bit more from him, and then show you one more quote and move on. He says, become quiet, hushed, motionless, 
until you are fully centered. Let go of all distractions. Allow God to reshuffle your priorities and eliminate unnecessary froth. And here's why. He says, this is our first task, to grip the hands of Jesus with such tenacity that we are obliged to follow his lead. And in solitude, in silence, when it's done intentionally, when it's done with trying to connect with Jesus in mind, this has been for people all the way since Adam and Eve walking in the garden in the cool of the day, all the way, all the way back, even before the fall. This idea of being alone with God has been so powerful. Silence teaches us to listen and to pay attention. If you're writing stuff down, that's what it says. Silence teaches us to listen and to pay attention. Psalm 46, is uh, there's a part of it that's really famous. It says, be still and know that I am God. The rest of that psalm is kind of interesting, though, because it's not about being still at all. It's talking about remembering how God is moving in the world, to see God's hand in everything, to know that God is a mighty warrior. It uses the most common term for God in that psalm is that God is the Lord of heaven's armies. And it keeps talking about how he protects us and he fights for us and and how we should see him in all the things that are happening. And yet the response to that is be still and know that I am God. That's obviously not his big dream for us is to always be still, but that sometimes, sometimes we need to. Sometimes we have to back down and just just remember who we're serving. Remember what the fight's actually about. Remember why we're facing so much opposition from the enemy. Remember why we're working so hard to build this community. Remember that he is God. And just be still and submit to take a knee, if you would. Isaiah 42 reminds us that... um, It talks about the suffering servant, talks about that we should be his servants, but it also asks us, and I encourage you on your own to read the whole chapter and just let that percolate and marinate your heart a little bit. But here's the thing. In the middle of that, he says, listen, you ears that don't hear. See, you eyes that don't see. And silence and solitude, more than anything else in my life, are what helps me to see when I can't see, what helps me to listen when I can't listen? What helps me to actually hear the voice of God above what I really believe is his will that's already in my heart, what I already thought I heard? When I go to the mountains, when I go and just sit on my deck and just listen, I've found that those are the times when God speaks to me most clearly and most powerfully. And this is not just me. This is something that's available to any of us. It sounds scary. It sounds so hard. It sounds so weird, but it works. Silence makes it way easier to stand in awe, to truly feel our smallness, to take in the beauty of creation, and to truly listen. I encourage you even tonight 
Shut off as many lights as you can around your house and your, and your carport and whatever else creates light that you have control. Uh, you probably don't have control over street lights if you, near, you know, live near some of them. But shut off as many lights as you can and, and just go outside and just stare at the sky. And you don't even have to pray a prayer out loud. Just be still. Just say, God, you're so much bigger than me. Just, just be there. Watch what happens. Watch what happens in your heart. In Ecclesiastes 5.1, it says, guard your steps when you come to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Again, silence is something that we can practice even here, even in the midst of a bunch of people, in the midst of singing, in the midst of preaching, in the midst of any other actual noise actually being there. This is something you can practice within your heart as well. You can just be still before God. You can really listen. Because silence helps us listen and pay attention. Again, Richard J. Foster. Silence frees us from the need to control others. Most of these spiritual disciplines are practiced just one-on-one with God, but a few of them, you need some other people around you. Okay, For example, fellowship. You can't do that one all alone. Okay, You could feast alone, but that's kind of missing the point. Uh, there's a few others, but this, this is one that can go both ways. And, and I, I highly encourage you to do both of these. Most of us find it really hard to just listen to God when we spend time to pray. It, it's hard to just listen. We're scared he's not going to answer. We're scared we're not going to hear anything. And honestly, sometimes you don't. But the more you persist, eventually you do start sensing him talking to you. You start getting the leading that you need. But also the, the silence, the, the spiritual discipline of silence is also practiced with other people. We need to listen to each other more. One of the primary ways that we can show respect to each other and show love to each other, to treat others the way we want to be treated, to love others as we want to love as we do love ourselves, is just to listen. Let me read you a little bit more from this passage. Silence frees us from the need to control others. One reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We're accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. A frantic stream of words flows from us in an attempt to straighten others out. We want so desperately for them to agree with us, to see things our way. We evaluate people, we judge people, we condemn people, we devour people with our words. Silence is one of the deepest disciplines of the Spirit simply because it puts the stopper on that. When we become quiet enough to let go of people, we learn compassion for them. Try and listen a little bit next time you're with people. On your way home, this afternoon, tonight, see what happens. Solitude is even scarier sometimes. None of us are supposed to be alone all the time. All of these, if you're not picking up on this, I've said it out loud, but I want to say it one more time. None of these are what God wants us to do all the time. 
There's never, never a situation where God's whole dream for you is to be totally silent and totally alone. He wants you busy and building his kingdom constantly. You can't love others as you love yourself if you're always alone and you're always silent. You, you've, got to, you've got to be out there. That, but these are the things that refuel us. These are the things that reset us. These are the things that sink us back up with God and his purposes and his will and his power and his person. These are the things that, that rejuvenate us and allow us again to be there. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46, we see one more thing that happens. This is actually probably the most powerful example that we have of silence and solitude. And that is the example of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus' ministry on earth actually began and ended with him taking time to be alone with God. Right after his baptism, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for 40 days. By the way, I told you fasting is usually more powerful when you combine it with other things. Well, for 40 days, he fasted and prayed in total solitude, just him and God in the wilderness. And at the end of those 40 days was the big showdown with the devil. At the end of those 40 days was his first chance to succeed or totally fail, to abandon the whole mission or to actually go into it like with all guns blazing. And he won with flying colors. He beat the devil in that moment. And a part of the reason was just because he's Jesus. And part of the reason is because he had God on his side. And that was the plan all along. Part of the reason was he had the Holy Spirit in him. And he had just gone through baptism. And he was completely obedient to God in every way. But part of that was he had just fasted for 40 days. And he had spent 40 days in silence and solitude. And he was ready. He was ready to fight. And right before he went to the cross... Right before he went and was, he knew he was about to be betrayed. He knew that all these things were happening. He had one last feast with his disciples. And then he went off to be alone with God and to pray. And the human part of Jesus at this moment was, was so broken that he was sweating blood. That's a medical thing, by the way. I don't, you should look that up. It's actually possible when people are beyond distraught. It's a really interesting thing that, that the Bible in, uses that detail because it sounds so weird and hokey, but it's actually a possible thing that can happen. This is just how messed up Jesus was with fear and with, with anxiety and all the other things that we would feel in a situation like that. And how does he deal with it? He goes to God. He gets some friends to pray for him, and he goes to God alone. So many other times in his life, we see the same thing. The day before he fed the 5,000 and walked on water, he had gone to be there alone because he was grieving. How did he deal with his grief? To be alone in silence and solitude with God. How did he deal with all of these things? There are so many times it is, is when it says this was his practice. This is how he did it. But most of the specific times that the Bible gives us that says that he did this, right after that, we see something amazing. So here's my challenge to you this morning. Follow the example of Jesus if you want to get more like him. This morning, if you are struggling with something huge, get alone with Jesus. Practice some silence and some solitude. Just listen. Find somewhere where you can be totally alone. Get rid of your phone for a little bit. Do whatever it takes to just be still 
Let the emotion come up. Let the thoughts come up. Let all the stuff that you've been trying to push away and the reason that you're so afraid of being silent and being still, let it, let it happen. But let God be there with you and watch how that switches things inside your soul. Be prepared. If you're preparing for a major next step, if you need to hear from God for any reason, you need some clear leading. Take some time to get alone with God. Do it today. Work it into your routine if you can. But specifically, if you're going through something right now, do this. If you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling burnt out, if you're grieving, if you're losing touch with who you really are and what life's really about and why it's worth it to be part of building this kingdom at all, you need to get rid of all the distractions for a little bit. You need to be alone with God. You should schedule in some silence and some solitude. And you should meet God there. This morning, I invite you to do whatever it takes for you to meet God here. Some of you have never given your life to God. Some of you have been running from him for a long time. Some of you have been passionately pursuing with everything that's inside of you your whole life. But right this minute you need to reconnect. There's something that's just eating you alive and you need to reconnect with him. Some of you need a church home. Some of you, there's so many situations of reasons why you might want to come forward and ask for prayer with me or some of the elders, um, with my dad, with whoever else might be willing to come and pray with you. There's so many different choices that you might need to make this morning to actually make sure that you are with God again. Seth's going to play. I'd like you to take just a moment of silence and ask God in this brief moment of silence before we start singing. What do you want me to do? And then would you have the courage to actually do that this morning? Even if it's just to come forward and let us pray for you, that's great. But if there's a choice you need to make, ask God in this moment, brief moment of silence, and do what he tells you.